Hello, everybody. It's Keith. Help support the Northeast scene and declare yourself a member today. Subscribe to us on Apple Podcasts or your podcast medium of choice. Rate us and leave a review. Every little bit helps. Subscribe to our YouTube channel. It has every podcast episode plus other exclusive content. Like and leave a comment. Follow us on Instagram and Twitter at TheNEScene. Also, continue to write us at NortheastScene at gmail.com. We want to share your experiences as well. And now, here's the show. You ever feel like nothing good was ever going to happen to you? Yeah, and nothing did. So what? Hello, everybody, and welcome to the Northeast Scene Podcast. This is Keith. And Tommy. And we're back. And it feels like years since we have been on this podcast together, Tommy. I haven't spoken to you in almost a week. Yeah, on the podcast, no. We haven't spoken to each other. And not even while you were away. Folks, I kept to my word. I didn't text Tommy at all, because as fate would have it, uh, he was away at the shore with his family. And I was away in San Jose at work the the same week, and I was so busy, I didn't have time to message anybody. And I stayed on East Coast time, so I was up super early and in bed super late. There was only one time I messaged Tommy. I was sitting in my desk Thursday night in the hotel randomly, and I got this flash in my head. And I was like, (laughs) (laughs) keep in mind, I haven't spoken to Tommy all week. I messaged him randomly at 1130 at night. I'm like, yo. If you think about it, the so long dental plan bit in The Simpsons, they probably had 15 to 20 seconds of space in the show they had to fill because they had no more animation. And that's how they came up with that bit. That's got to be right. Why else would they do that? Yeah, because they went, we're 21 minutes and 30 seconds. And they were like, well, you need to be 22 to make sure it's commercial time. And they went, fucking dental plan lisa needs braces let's go (laughs) and it's one of the best bits on the entire show (laughs) it really is one of the you know what the funny part is is like family guy ripped that off and they do those extended bits like where they and but it's annoying like it's not funny when family actually there's a couple family guy ones that are funny yeah they're hit or miss but you know before we launch into more simpsons talk i want to mention that tonight on the show we are going to have jeff smith and Eric Rattensperger of Jerome's Dream. They've got a 20-year anniversary reissue of Presents coming out, produced by Kurt Ballou. Uh It's going to be coming out on Iodine Recordings. We're going to want to check that out. I mean, come on. And uh, it's going to be a great conversation. I'm looking forward to talking to those guys. I always like that. That genre, just in general, of just like screamy noise, dissonant stuff is always kind of like... I've had a soft spot for that since I was little, so like, I'm excited to hear them. Me too, and I've always liked that kind of music and wanted to dive into more of it, but I don't know, I just, like, I used to listen to, like, Rye Coalition and Sleepy Time Trio and, I don't know, all that kind of stuff, and I love it, but I've just fallen off with it a lot lately, but what better time than now to dive back in? It's like Rye Coalition, but heavier. At least Rye Coalition, I mean, with Rye Coalition, I can understand what they were saying most of the time. Yeah, they were, they were like, they were on the poppier end of that whole thing. 
yeah, I could, I, I don't know any of the, like, if you listen to a Neil Perry song that I get like one word, or if you <laughs> listen to Jerome's dream or orchid or Sasha, like I, I, yeah, I get out of that f- a minute and 30 seconds. I, I might get one word. And even then it's like, Oh, I looked up the lyrics. That's wrong. They're not a sing along band. Listen, we're both back. And, uh, Tommy, I missed you. I didn't talk to you that much during the week. How was it? How did it go? It was really nice. I missed you too. It was a, it's a weird kind of thing to, I, I, when I'm down the shore, I try to keep my phone to a minimum, like, unless I'm taking pictures of the kids. So I literally, and it's also like, you're at the beach. Like you don't want to get like sand and shit in your phone. So it's like, I always make sure, um, I keep it like kind of in a pocket of like one of our beach bags and like zipped up. So I don't even check it really during the day. Yeah, it was really nice. Uh, Lots of work taking kids to the beach. That sucks. It's not really as fun as I remember it when I was 20. And you were (laughs) like, hey, let's just take a chair and a towel to the beach and go there. It's like there's me and my sisters. uh, Between all of us, there's 12 people. So we need two of those big pop-up tents. And um, someone's got to carry them down there and set them up. And fill the buckets with sand so they don't blow away and take someone's eye out. Um, So the beach for me is really fun after about the first 30 minutes of setting everything up. And then um, the last 30 minutes also sucks. So that (laughs) that five hour window in between is is super rad and really fun. And it was neat to see the baby last time she was down there. The baby wasn't really walking or playing in this. You know, she was just kind of like sitting in the sand. This is like year she was like jumping the waves and like playing around and stuff. So it was it was really, really nice. How are you doing? Oh, I'm good. I was in San Jose. I worked a lot. I came home. I worked even more. Uh, not like work work, you know, like some other work. You know what I'm saying? Yeah, gotcha. S- some personal work, if you know what I mean. Fair enough. And uh, yeah, don't take that out of context, folks. I'm talking about like <laughs> recovery-related uh, things I'm involved with. So it was a very, very busy weekend. Came home, got off the plane, Went right to a thing, had to help uh, set things up there, went to my friend's birthday party, went home, got up, went up to Sleepy Hollow to see a friend for some other thing, and then finally came home and was just burnt out. And you know what? I I understand why people love sports now, Tommy. Why? I'm going to tell you why. On, uh, On Twitch, they're doing this competitive Ninja Gaiden speedrun thing. Okay. And they have brackets and they have different speedrunners going up against each other. I watch this shit like it's the Super Bowl. <laughs> and I'm like getting into it and I'm like rooting for people and I have my people that I like and my people that I want to lose and I'm just like and I couldn't even watch it at one point cuz it got so tense. Oh, get out. Yeah, I'm like holy crap. This is why people like sports. I get it now. I I guess I just I don't get sports, but I I can understand like enthusiasm for a player like, oh, that guy's really good. I want to see him do well, especially when it's like with like games because it is just one player. Like it's not like, oh, I root for the Eagles. Like, you know, it's okay. So there's 40 some odd guys on the roster like and none of them are from Philadelphia. (laughs) (laughs) It's like that's what sports should really be. It should be you have to 
you have to like have every single athlete on your team be from like that 30 mile vicinity. Like then I would actually give a shit like, Oh, that kid went to Ryan and this kid went to Bonner and this kid went to fucking, I don't know, Holy ghost or whatever. And then it's like, all right, cool. I care. It's like Seinfeld said, you're rooting for the clothes. (laughs) Well, I watched a really long, uh, YouTube video about video games and I got, Actually, this is the first time I had to kind of like take a step away and go, all right, this is really boring. Um, <laughs> it's this, it, it's not really boring. It just got very technical. Uh, and it was about the perfect speed run for Super Mario Brothers. And was that the summoning salt vid? It's not the summoning salt one. I found a new guy. I, I enjoy him as well. Uh, it's the username on YouTube is Bismuth. B-I-S-M-U-T-H. Um, mm-hmm. But he talks a lot about the frame rates and like how... Uh, like I don't about, like when they get too technical. This is very techy. And, and I was about, oh, I don't know, 15 minutes in and he was like, the recursive function that you... And I was like, fuck this. This sounds like work. I'm not. This sounds like way too mathy for me. I don't feel like thinking about math right now. I don't have to be back in school for another few weeks like fuck this like and i just turned it off yeah summoning salt does a much better job of building suspense and just giving you the overview of who ran the game and who won and everyone who competed in the history and i had that same experience recently i finished last of us 2 for a ps4 phenomenal phenomenal game gripping story highly recommended to everybody and someone sent me a five hour review of the game five hours yeah like i i want to relive this whole game but i don't want to play it so i'm gonna i'm gonna listen to this and it started out with some really great commentary and recap and you know background about the game but then it just turns into a gameplay video where this guy complains about the game the whole time so i'm at the two hour mark i would say and every scene in the game he's like i saw this coming a mile away and I expected this, and I don't know why they did this. I guess they had to. And like that's all it was by the two hour mark. And I was like, uh, okay, I'm done. <laughs> you're just so much smarter than everybody, aren't you? Like that's when I watch those things, and you're like, ugh. The name of the video was something like, you know, Last of Us Two, the most groundbreaking game ever. And I had to stop myself. I, I went into the comments section and I was like typing out, "Bro, are you sure you liked this game?" Like, yeah. <laughs> But then I was like, no, don't do that. So I just, you know, I just said nothing at all. I think that was a good route with this one because in my head, I'm like, I would have said the same thing. And I would like, in, I would have stopped for a second and been like, don't write that because there are a lot of people that they make it their business to just respond to shit on YouTube. And it's like, I remember I wrote a comment years ago on some video about I, don't know, I think it was Hellfest or something like that and I wrote like oh this seems like a waste of time or something like that and then I looked back at my YouTube thing and it was like there was a thread of people just trashing me and I was like oh I guess people took that kind of seriously I think it was like a throwaway thing that I was just like ah fuck it whatever I don't think this is that good wasting is your time is it still there I don't know it was one of those things where when I first started using YouTube and I did what I did with Twitter, which is I had like eight names. So of course, 
I want to see if it's still there so we can find the comment and make fun of you. It's the Hellfest video of that. The Remember the one that happened that was like in a gymnasium because it got moved and there was like a fucking riot during Bad Luck 13? Yeah. That it was the video of that. It wasn't oh. bad. It wasn't Bad Luck's video. I would. Yeah, never, let's I clarify. Never. It was not Bad Luck Thirteen oh, that oh. Tommy said was a waste of time. I want to make that very clear. Thank no, no, you. No, 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 no. I know I'm not stupid. <laughs> <laughs> it was like it was some um, video that was linked off of that. It was like one of those suggested videos from that. It was from that same um, set. Th- it was from that same like. Um, what would you call that same venue and the same year? But I was like, what a, like I said something like what a waste of time. And it was like, Oh fuck people just trashing me. I was like, oh, whatever. yeah, I tried to, you know, I mentioned it in the last app. I tried to check the negativity because this guy put together this five hour video recap of last of us two. And I'm just going to come in and be like, you know, like even, even like, I don't know. The beginning was cool and I'm sure the end is cool. I would have liked more commentary and less like, I saw this coming. I predicted this. Why did they do this? Like I didn't. I didn't know it was going to be a critique. I wanted. I wanted a interesting commentary, Tommy. Because when I when I finish a long game like that, it's almost like a period of mourning. I want to. I, I can dive into all the articles I've been avoiding because I don't want anything spoiled. I want to relive the game. I want to see what the community has to say. You know, like I, I'm looking for a connection, if you will. You're going to want to look for other people's reactions because you're going to say like, oh, when I encountered this part, this was my reaction. I want to hear what other people had to say. Yeah. And with Last of Us 2, there was a lot of backlash because I think people were expecting the exact same thing, part two. And this game presents you with many tough changes, many difficult choices, uh, two opposing sides. And if you're just expecting the same exact thing, I can see why you'd be disappointed. But... I stuck through the whole thing, and I have to say, it's brilliant what they did. And, man, it was just great. Really good. Really, really good. I'll have to look it up, because I honestly don't even know what the, the game would look like. Not to be... Yeah, you know what? Start with Last of Us... Wait, do you have any newer systems? No. No. Uh, well, I just well, have ras- Raspberry Pi and Wii. I see. Well, well, we'll get you there, Tommy. Maybe I'll give you my <laughs> PS4 when I get a PS5. <laughs> All right. Well, listen, we're out of time. So now we're going to talk to Jerome's dream. Enjoy. All right, folks, we're here now with Jeff Smith and Eric Rattensberger of Jerome's dream. Gentlemen, welcome to the show. Hello. Hello. (laughs) Yep. Hey, how's it going, guys? Oh, it's going great. We're, We're very happy to have you here. So how is everybody doing today? Tuesday. Let's start with you, Jeff. How was your day? Oh, my God. Uh, I mean, it was a great day. I was just telling Eric when I got here um, what, it, what it, you know, I'm running all over the place doing just like dad errands, you know. So, um, but, it, but it's a good day, you know. We hung out by the pool. We had good weather in San Francisco. Um, you know, brought my kid to play with his best friend and uh, it, was, it was pretty nice. How about you, Eric? How's it going? It was good. You know, Jeff is here at the apartment now. We're both in San Francisco. Uh, my day was a typical work day, and um, it's always a struggle. There's always some some kind of constricting resistance when you want to, like, do nothing but, like, ban stuff, but you have people emailing you and texting you stupid shit, and you're like, oh, I need to do this fucking podca- podcast with these guys. <laughs> and so, but... but we're here now, and that makes me happy. So it is a good Tuesday starting now. 
That's awesome. Yeah, hey, I was just in San Francisco last week for work. I flew into SFO. I had to drive up to San Jose. I love it there. If I had to live in any other city, I would want it to be San Francisco. It's a great city. You should have called us. We would have taken you out for beer. I know, man. I, I didn't even know. I thought I figured you guys were still in Connecticut. How did you end up out west? Oh, well, um, okay. That's a, that's a good question. I mean, I've been out and I've been in San Francisco since 2002. So uh, uh, right after JD broke up, I, I, um, I made my way out here. I met some people and uh, just thought, you know, I, I've always wanted to live in California. I mean, since I was a little kid, you know, I'm going to date myself here, but, um, my dad used to let me watch the, the show chips. You guys remember that old show? With oh yeah. Yeah. Eric Estrada? Yeah. So I was like, man, everybody's so, so like attractive in California. Like I'm going to go out there, you know, my whole life. I was like, I'm going to move to California and move to California. And then, you know, watching movies growing up. I, lo- I loved movies as a kid. I still do. Um, you know, I was like, man, I just, I just want to be in that, like, like the sunshine, you know, everything has a kind of a different look with the, with the light out here. And, um, so I met some people and well, you know, during touring and stuff and, uh, came out and I just kind of vetted it when I was uh, playing in my other band, the wind up bird. Mm-hmm. Um, and you know, a few months later I, I was like, you know what? I'm I, cause I was here on tour and then I was like, I'm just gonna, I'm just gonna move out. And nothing was really holding me to the East Coast. So um, so I just packed a bag and moved out and just knew like three or four people and kind of had to figure it out on my own. So, you know, I've been here ever since and people, a handful of my friends have actually followed me out here. Um, one of them is in the other room right now. So, <laughs> See, I was just going to ask, Eric, how did you get out there? Did you see what, what a great time Jeff was having? You're like, I got to go. Well, there is irony to this because uh, even before Jeff was saying that he was kind of, you know, painting this picture of California when he was on his uh, on tour with his other band, which was Wind Up Bird. I remember when we were younger and we were touring, you know, in our first iteration. I'll never forget when Jeff always said to me, he's like, I just want to put my feet in the Pacific Ocean. And like that was something. So, So at the time none of us have ever had ever had ever been to the West coast. And so I remember uh, it was kind of a moment when we actually did tour um, and get to the West coast for the first time where, where Jeff was able to do that. I think it, and correct me if I'm wrong, Jeff, it might've been actually in San Diego, San Diego, Um, but we were there for an hour before our feet were in the water. Yeah, yeah, (laughs) exactly. But so um, to fast forward to now, uh, I, so I, I moved to Los Angeles in 2016 and I recently moved here, um, just a year ago this month, uh, during all this fuckery that is the pandemic, but yeah, like, like SF, it, it, it was one of the best decisions, decisions I ever made. And, um, you know, I'm happy to be here, happy to be, you know, just kind of like in a place where, um, you know, I could feel comfortable with just like being in a city, but being close to nature and then most importantly, being close to Jeff, where, you know, we're able to now play music, write music. Um, our friend Jack Shirley, who recorded our um, our most recent LP, is in Oakland. Um, you know, the Loma Prieta guys are here as well. Um, it's just it, it's just been a nice transition from 
you know, being in New York for 15 years and then moving to LA, kind of having sort of a interesting time there, but then moving here and actually feeling like I've got like some real footing. So, and I, I think with being close, close to Jeff kind of helps with that. That's great. And was it, was it a pandemic decision to make the move from Los Angeles to San Francisco? And I think that's the move anyway, because I, you know, people always say Los Angeles, great place to visit, not the greatest place to live. And I agree with that. I think I would choose living in Northern California over Southern California. For sure. And yeah, uh, Los Angeles was kind of this sort of, I don't know, kind of like a, a it was a temporary. It was a temporary spot. Um, I was also going through some really big life changes um, upon moving there, and basically, to answer your question, it, it was sort of an off-the-cuff type thing. So, I was coming to the end of my lease, and Sean from Loma Prieta actually posted, a, I think, like a an Instagram story to to like whatever the like kind of like a private Instagram story that he was moving out of his apartment and. It was funny because it was just after I had gotten denied an apartment in LA that I wasn't even that stoked on. And so I hit him up and I'm like, I'm like, Hey, like, what's, what's up? Are you guys moving? Like, what's, what's the deal? And he's like, yeah, you know, we, we got a new place and, um, you know, our apartment will be available. And so I said, do I move to SF? And he's like, yes. <laughs> and I said, well, fuck. I'm like, all right, I guess. I guess this is a, a, a like this. It was a real, like a real turning point, like a real crossroad where I was like, okay, I, if I make this decision, this this could really change things up. And this is kind of what I've I've, I've always wanted, anyways. Especially when we kind of resurrected uh, the band, um, and then knowing that Jeff was living up here, knowing and we became fast friends with Jack, um, Jack Shirley, who recorded the LP and. and also the Loma guys because we um, we had toured with them. Um, I, I, it was actually, they were actually the first band that we had jumped on tour with um, when we kind of brought the band back together. And it just all kind of came full circle in that moment. And, um, and, and it worked out beautifully. And I can't believe it's already been a year since I, I moved here. But yeah, it's, it's a really great place to live. And um, yeah, I, I, w- I wouldn't want to be anywhere else at this point. It, it's incredibly expensive to live there, isn't it? It's it, it is for soul sure. Crushing. <laughs> yeah, um, but but I think Jeff and I have have good situations with our uh, our apartments and all that jazz. You know, it's like um, rent control. I, I, yeah, there you go. <laughs> exactly, exactly. Um, so that was one of the one of the the more enticing elements of, of or aspects of of this opportunity. And it's like okay, like I can actually live in this city and not you know spend 75% of my, my earnings to, to a one bedroom apartment. So that's beautiful. If, I mean, if there was a rent controlled one bedroom apartment in San Francisco now available for me, I'd probably move there. Like shit. Why not? Yeah. Yeah. We'd love <laughs> Your to voice is so pleasant. Here. I just want to like hang out with you. <laughs> <laughs> well, thank you. Not everybody agrees, but you know what? I'm going to take that. I'm going to yeah. say it like that. <laughs> and I'm going to support that. So anyway, yeah. So so long story short, um, Jeff, did you get that um, inside joke? Uh, totally I'm sure he can explain as far you. inside as it but, goes. But yeah, so like long story short, um, you know, Jeff got here basically right after the band or after Drum's Dream. Like we all parted ways in 2001, 
And, uh, you know, I, I think it only made sense for Jeff to get out here. And um, it, it didn't surprise me that he ended up being out here for more than half his life. And, and yeah, here I am, uh, a late bloomer, but happy to be here. That's great. And I love, you know, changes in life can be difficult. And I don't know, sometimes bad things happen, sometimes good things happen. But like, I don't know, you just never know what's going to happen. And when you pull the camera back a little bit and look at the cycle of events and everything just kind of leads to this good place. I like that. I like those changes. Yeah. And Jeff, chime in here. I mean, I know I'm talking a lot, but but I, I, <laughs> I, 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 I will, I will um, say that for me, that's absolutely true. Um, you know, I was married. I was in a relationship for 12 years, uh, married for eight of them. And yeah, upon moving to Los Angeles, we got divorced. Um, you know, we're, we're still very close. We're like family at this point. We're, we're, you know, we're totally good, but you know, any kind of change like that um, is it, it, it's, it's abrupt. It's terrifying. It's, it's, it's a lot to process. And I think that's also, um, in, in part, what really like made it easy for me to just get up and go to SF. I feel that. I feel that for sure, because I'm going through that too. Or I, I guess I can say I went through that at this point. Not a divorce, but a breakup. And even though I didn't move cities or anything, in many ways, I felt like I had to start over. So the uh, a big move like that is definitely that something something that seems appealing in that type of situation. Yeah, it, it, it's it's a recalibration of sorts, and um, you know, we we had gone on tour. When was it, Jeff? Summer of twenty nineteen. Yeah, it, it's such a blur because of this pandemic business. But um, yeah, we when we went on tour in twenty nineteen, we we were we toured basically the better part of the year, and coming back from from doing a full U.S. tour, doing a full European tour. And being divorced, <laughs> like just being like on my own in LA, I, I kind of came back to sort of this emptiness. And um, you know, LA didn't really have anything for me when I so it was coming back from from all this traveling. I mean, I was wrecked. I was physically wrecked. I was emotionally wrecked. I was just and I was just kind of in this holding pattern. And so when that Instagram story came up from Sean from Loma, I, I was like this this is like the ticket. This is sort of like a pathway to what I need to be like, what I need to be close to anyways. And that's, that's what made it really easy for me to, to make that jump. And, um, you know, I literally packed all my stuff in a single car. Jeff actually came down. Um, we packed everything we could in his car and that's all I brought up here. And I just wouldn't have it any other way. Like it just, it felt like I was kind of shedding, you know, like I just kind of shed all the shit and came into SF with like a, a new, just, and I just felt different. And yeah, the pandemic definitely still had like that kind of weight on me just as it has with everybody, but the move felt super positive. And, um, you know, since, since I moved here, we've been able to be uh, fairly productive creatively and, even though Nick still uh, resides in Connecticut, we've been able to, to kind of, well, for, well, for one, we're, we were able to facilitate this tour or the, you know, the, the tours that we did in 2019. Yeah. And uh, again, we haven't, we haven't seen Nick since tour, which is really fucked up, but we're able to keep in touch. And, you know, at least Jeff and I are able to kind of keep this thing kind of moving while keeping Nick in, in, in the process from afar. And, uh, 
it's obviously not the ideal way, but um, it, it's it's you know it, it's it's working to the best it can um, at least at this point. I, I'm, I'm stoked for it. So, how do you guys make it work with being on opposite coasts? Well, before the pandemic, we were in three different cities, and everybody would come here because um, I'm the only parent. So I had a lot of parental duties. So they they would come here. Um, we found we found a, a pretty awesome dude to let us borrow his practice space. You know, we'd give him a little bit of money and. Um, We'd be like, can we borrow your practice space for like a week? And he'd be like, yeah, sure, that's fine. And um, so we, everybody would just fly here and spend a week to 10 days. Um, that was when we were writing the record and uh, the LP and um, preparing for tour. So it, it, I don't know, this, this felt kind of like home base. So going back to what Eric was saying, like him moving here, it, it sort of solidified it. But um but since the pandemic, um, you know, Eric and I have just been here kind of holed up, but we, we, we've recently started working on uh, some new music. And it, like you said, ha- like we want Nick to be here, but we're share basically we're sharing everything we're doing with him and, you know, teaching him that way. We'll send him like video stuff or, you know, first we'll just send him like sound clips and he'll be like, Oh yeah, that's really good. And then, um, but that's 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 kind of the route we're taking right now. Um, but prior to the yeah, pandemic, we're kind of figuring it out. Yeah. Um, it's still kind of <laughs> it's, it's still kind progress. of happening. Yeah, it's a work in progress. I mean, yeah, to 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 work remotely, like Jeff said, you know, when we wrote the LP, it, it was actually you know three different places. It was Los Angeles, SF, and Connecticut. And I remember at one point I had gone to Connecticut to work with Nick, um, and we found this random rehearsal space that ended up being incredible. Um, this, this guy had this sort of space that he had built out in this like fucked up warehouse in Waterbury, Connecticut, which is funny because Jeff grew up in Waterbury and we kind of found this place ra- ra- randomly on, on the internet. And this, this guy his, his name is Jeff as well, but he was kind of like this like musical fairy. Like he was like this kind of, I don't know like how he was, living or surviving but i think he was living in this warehouse nick found it on the internet because he knew i was coming to connecticut and we were going to like get together and uh, start kind of writing or working working on stuff that i had written um together and this space ended up being amazing and so when i was in connecticut for those few days or, or a week or whatever um we kind of hold up in this rehearsal space in waterbury and that was kind of like our first effort to, well, for one, it was the first time that Nick and I had, had connected uh, in 17 or 18 years, um, seeing each other in person, which is a crazy thing. I mean, that's the one thing that I guess it's, it's important to note is when, when Jerome's dream broke up in, uh, it's funny. I never even thought about us as breaking up. We just kind of like stopped. There was, I guess there's like, it's the same, but it's not like, was there never like a conversation? Hey, we're broken up. This is the end of the band. Anything like that? Uh, I mean, it, it kind of happened at a show. Um, <laughs> well, let's talk about that. What happened? <laughs> okay, wait, 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 wait. Okay, All I'm right, gonna, you, I'm gonna you answer this start, one, Jeff. <laughs> <laughs> okay. this, is, this is making me laugh. Okay, so um, yeah, we were playing. We we had a weekend that we were doing, and we were in New Jersey, and I think we were playing with 
the band. The assistant. You, oh, the, the assistant. Yes, not you and uh, I. Oh, uh, yeah. No, it was the assistant. Yeah, it was the assistant. Yeah, you yes, and I yes, broke yes, up yes. in '99, I think, and then it was the assistant. Okay. Who else did we play with? It was the assistant <laughs> and someone. You else. guys are incredible. Wow. Okay. So <laughs> it was probably you guys, the assistant, Joshua, fit for battle, Neil Perry. <laughs> <Yep>. <laughs> I'm just taking sounds, a guess here. You know, people would be like, that's an incredible show. Um, <laughs> There's some uh, version of that, though. Like, Yeah, it was, it was some version of that. And, you know, we were in like a VFW hall or I something. I think Neil Perry actually did play that show. They, they may have. <laughs> they may yeah. have. So Eric, um, Eric is like, he stands up in the middle of our set and he's like, Hey, just want to thank everybody for coming out because he was always the one to like do the, 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 you know, talk to people and, um, he, he's like, yeah, and this is uh, tomorrow's gonna be our last show ever. And Nick and I are just like, huh? What? <laughs> <laughs> Eric, how, how did you decide that tomorrow was gonna be the last show? Uh, and I, I don't know. Uh, you know. It's a long time ago. It's a long time ago, but it's also just a different. Um, I don't know, man. Like I, I just. I, I think the way I was back then, um, I mean, I, I've already told Jeff and Nick that like, I would never have, I would never handle something like that, uh, in that way. Um, you know, it was a very selfish way to handle such a big thing in our lives because the band at the time was the only thing in our lives. It was the biggest thing in our lives. It was the one thing that it just gave us the the purpose that we were looking for when we were kids. And I think after however long we had played shows and put out those records and stuff, like I think at one point I was just, I, I don't know, like, like I just, I ended up just doing that. And it was obviously uh, not the right way to, to do that. Um, especially with when, when other people are involved, you know, to just kind of like, stand up in front of people and just say, yeah, it's done. Like that's a real fucked up thing to do. And I'll never, I'll, I'll never forget it though, because we, we played, um, I don't know where the venue was, Jeff. Do you like, was it like a hall or something? It kind? was, yeah, it was like a VFW hall or something. And I remember like the Seisha guys were there or at least Billy and, um, uh, who else was there? Uh, I don't know if it was Jamie or maybe my, might've been Greg Drudy at the time, the, the first drummer of Seisha or the, the drummer of Seisha. I was, I said the first drummer because I, cause he was the first drummer of Interpol, but yeah. Um, but anyway, uh, and I, I there's some irony to that because we actually played Seisha's last show at ABC No Rio in New York. And, um, no, I just remember those guys in, in the crowd and the crowd was kind of like sparse, you know, there weren't like a lot of kids there. Um, but I don't remember, and I don't remember where the, the, the next day was actually Boston. Jeff was, it was Boston. Boston. Okay. Yeah, Middle East. So, yeah, the Middle East, which felt kind of like big time for us. Like, World Inferno Friendship Society. They were yeah, awesome. Yeah, we we played with them, and uh, I, I know I know the um, the singer recently passed away. Um, but what a what a yeah what what a moment in like punk history to like you know be this like hardcore band from Connecticut and then like play with this other band, you know World Inferno, like wh- who we weren't really like super familiar with or like you know, it was kind of almost like a different world, but yeah, anyways, that was, that was our last show with World Inferno, which is such as, I, I don't know how many people actually knew that or know that, but, or why they would know that, but, um, 
playing with them scratched a niche for me, for all of us really, because we always like mm. playing with bands that are a lot different than us. Because yeah. it, it's just like it, just the diversity of of sound. It's just really nice. Keith and I bring that up all the time. It's like we used to go to shows and you would see like an emo band, a metal band, a hardcore band. Like you would see all these different types of music at the same time. And it's now it's like here's metal night. And it's like, oh, okay. So you just get one type of crowd. Like you didn't intermix with other groups. And it was like, you know, I I think that was such a great time was because you kind of saw what other people are doing and kind of borrowed and and made things your own that you observe from other people. Yeah, I don't... I don't think I appreciated it enough when I was young because I, I don't know, I mostly only listened to one type of music, but if it was more like that now, oh my God, I would love it. Like you could knock out, you know, cause I'm always on the hunt for new music and different genres. If I, if I could all conveniently experience it, it at one show in one venue, like see a few different kinds of bands. Oh, that would be great. I think what was so cool about back then, and it's so funny to like, you're like, oh, and you know, back then in the old days, <laughs> but like, you know, in, in punk rock, like, like, and I, I think um, someone else was talking about this recently of, of this very thing in terms of genre and like, and, and culture. And when it came to like underground music back then, yeah, I mean, you could see uh, a band like, I, I don't know of a specific example, but you could see a band like Get Up Kids or Braid play with a band like Earth Crisis or maybe not Earth Crisis, but maybe like some other heavier type of band. So like when you say like, oh, Metal Night or Emo Night or like Indie Night or whatever, you know, not that long ago, all of these bands were kind of on under one roof and kind of considered as underground. And now it's like people have become so uh, acquainted with Spotify genres or segments or like, whatever radio or this and that. And it's become so kind of granular, but back then there was this, this wider appreciation of a band like, uh, ghetto kids or even promise ring. I mean, I, I remember Jeff, like I'll never forget this show and Jeff won't either. Cause Trinity. it was exactly Trinity, uh, Trinity college, Hartford, Connecticut. We saw the jazz June and compound red and promise ring and yes, that's that's a pretty cohesive bill, um, and that it's not really to the point of what we're making with like heavier bands paired with like more like you know uh, well just different different bands in, in sound or whatever. But I, I, whatever to to kind of bring it all together in terms of how we responded to these types of um, bands and different types of music as a band like like Drums Dream, which is like a heavier type of band. We were always so, so stoked on um, bands that didn't sound like that. And whether it was direct or indirect, we always, we always draw, drew influence from these types of bands. And Jeff mentioned a band called Oxes, which was a Baltimore indie band, kind of like, I, I think the biggest reference would be like the fucking Champs, you know, kind of like that, kind of like metallic indie, math rock, really fucked up, avant-garde, whatever you want to call it. Like they were just... What about Hurl? Yeah. So Hurl, oh, we talk about yeah. Hurl a lot. If you, if you, anybody that that listens to us talk and ramble, um, we talk about Hurl a lot. And uh, they were a band from Pittsburgh. Mm-hmm. Um, just you know, Matthew, really just beautiful, beautiful songs. And uh, 
we saw them at, or I saw them at Trinity with, uh, oh, I never saw them. Yeah. I saw them at Trinity with June of 44 wow. and, um, they, they just blew me away in June of 44. I've I, like kind of fell asleep standing up, not, not nothing against <laughs> them, but after watching Hurl, I was like, fuck, wait, you know? is that where you discovered Hurl? That's yeah, where I, I discovered Hurl. Yeah. Trinity. Uh, I, I didn't even know that you had seen them live. I thought you just came across the, uh, the, no, the yeah. they, 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 they absolutely destroyed me. I think the drummer, the drummer was maybe in, um, what's, what's that band from Pittsburgh? Yeah. Don cab. I think he might've been in Don cab. So mm. see, this is what I, when I edit the episode, I go back and listen to all these bands that people mention. And then I go on like a YouTube deep dive to, <laughs> to listen to them all. That's my favorite Please. part of, uh, editing the podcast. You're going to think we're fucking weird then. <laughs> <laughs> I did that. So I did that with, uh, we had, um, Scott from Zayo on and he mm. mentioned like 10 different bands from Pittsburgh. And we were like, I, I was like, I'd never heard of this band. He's like, oh, you got to listen to Abignation and Chapter. And I was like, okay, I'm just going to go. I think <laughs> yeah. they're from Ohio, right? Or Zao? Uh, yeah. Western no. PA. Wait, Western yeah. PA. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. They are, uh, up this Basically are, Ohio. Up, yeah. Well, that's that. That's an interesting uh, – well, well, you outlining that with, with the Zao guy, like, you know – this is the other cool thing about that particular time, you know, whether it's 15, 20 years ago, like, you know, everyone at the time kind of had their own sort of perception of, 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 of what the scene was just based on who they discovered, because it wasn't as accessible as it is now in terms of people being able to do a deep dive on a particular genre or, you know, have, have easier access to bands that might, not have just not they might not have known otherwise whereas back then it really was kind of happening in real time you would discover a band like jeff did with hurl um at trinity college in hartford um you know and countless other moments like i, I remember when i was in new haven uh for one show i saw 400 years for the first time not knowing who they were um it was like a it was a show with 400 years this band called Half Man, which I believe was from New York, um, and Josta 14, who were from New Haven. And it was upstairs in some, like, I don't know, shitty apartment. It was like a house show, I think. I think someone lived there. I mean, I wouldn't have wanted to live there, but someone lived there. Um, but 400 Years played, and I've never, I've never seen anything like it. And then, of course, you know, months years down the line you realize just how important of a band they were um and um and how much reach they actually had but so that, that was a kind of that was a cool thing about back then when we were younger and discovering this music whether it was a, a band like hurl or a band like compound red and, and promise ring or even braid or 400 years um you know it's like it's we, like finding treasure yeah. Yeah. You know what? Better. And it still is. Back in the day, I was going to shows every week, every weekend. I was out there much more. And then you would see a band and be like, holy shit. And then, you know, I'm going to take a gamble and spend my last $10, $15 on this CD and hope that I like it. And sometimes you do, sometimes you don't. And now, I don't know. I just come across track. It's like you come across tracks now. Like for me, at least, I'll go on a Spotify deep dive or a YouTube deep dive and say, like, I want to find a new band or 
I don't know, a band I like posts about another band that they like, and then I listen to it and I'm like, holy shit. So the method has changed a little bit about how I discover new bands, but I still live for that moment when you find a song that grabs you and you're like, oh my God, this is the best feeling ever. I'm just going to say, yeah, when you find it, especially these days, it is a really special thing because yeah. you, you have so much more access so when, anyway, Jeff, go ahead. when we were when we were on tour, the same thing, you know, um, you know, I, I haven't kept up on on this world at all. Um, you know, I still need to do my homework a lot. But, you know, a couple a couple of times on tour, we, we would play with these bands and I'd just be like, holy shit. You know, the, the the two main ones that are coming to mind, other than the ones we already knew, like that, you know, like, oh, Touche More. Great. Yeah. You know, her daughter's great. Yeah. Or Touche Amore. Awesome. Like let's <laughs> or or um Vane. Like fuck yeah. Right. Yes. But, but but the ones that that were we we hadn't heard of yet that that we played with um two in particular are coming to 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 mind um a band from Indiana called Vac um V V A C like they like you know you watch a band you know and you're 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 like stoked they're going they're they're making some cool music and they're they're doing their thing but sometimes you're like oh my god this is this is actually something right here that's happening and um so this band vac from from indiana really impressed us a lot and um a band from virginia from northern virginia called no man also really just blew us away um and i think they're they're really getting some traction right now um it's like the it's the, the majority rule guys um and maha singing um and they're they're fantastic if you guys haven't listened to them all right i'm taking mental notes of like all these bands to check out now so <laughs> I, I was gonna say i have to i have to find new music because i've been stuck on the same like like 40 tracks for like the last three months or so and it's oh, like yeah. it's getting old I'm so sick of my run mix. <laughs> <laughs> my run mix is terrible now. It's actually like I've gone back to like uh, I just saw a show that got booked in Philly was like Strife, Earth Crisis, and I think Snapcase. It was like the yeah. California Takeover thing, and I was like, oh I haven't listened to Strife in a really long time. And I went back and I was like, hey, you know what? This is <laughs> okay. Well, you know, I will say that I, I I definitely have Snapcase on one of my run playlists, and you know. Snapcase, you listen to it now. I mean, some of it holds up, some some of it doesn't. But yeah. I gotta say, their EP steps. It's it gets me. It gets me going. It gets me moving. It's it's, it's good. so good. It's, it's so really good. good. Yeah, I they mean, have a lot of stuff that really holds up. In in my younger years, like Snapcase was one of the first hardcore bands that I was truly amped on. There was something about Looking Glass Self that like arrested me and like that. You know, like. I was like, what the fuck is this? Like this, that kind of like power, that kind of like, oh, like. I think it, it just, was the piccolo snare for me. Was it, <laughs> does, this, does this snare sound like the bloodlet snare? Yes. It's that oh. really, really thin, like high. It sounds like oh, it's my, like it's somebody can. tuned it's, it up way too high. It's a, it's a coffee yeah. can. So the fucking, the singer of, uh, I'm sorry, the drummer of Bloodlet played with a 13 inch, <laughs> a 13 inch. Actually, it wasn't a piccolo snare. It just was a 13 inch snare. I think it had, it looked like from what I saw, it looked like it was a, thir uh, a 13 inch snare drum with a six and a half inch depth. But man, that shit even sounded higher pitched than a regular piccolo, which I think, you know, Snapcase played with and every other fucking hardcore band from 95. But, you know, <laughs> it was literally a coffee can. <laughs> yeah, yeah. 
But ping. back then, but ba- back then there was something about that ping yeah. that just got to me. I mean, I'm sure most of us, you know, ding dongs were like, "Wow, that sounds good." <laughs> Not me. No. But, but anyway, yeah. So, so I have a, I have a real appreciation for a band like Snapcase. I mean, I even liked you know when you know when Firestorm came out, Earth Crisis. Like these were these were the first hardcore bands in my sort of you know, acquaintance with it all. Um, you know, these were some of the bands where, I mean, look, any kind of victory band, including Strife, um, at the time, mid nineties, whenever they came through town, I'm like, yes, like this is going to be a big fucking show. And it always was like, even back then there were always tons of kids there. It was, it was nuts. And, um, yeah, yeah. Dead you know, guy. Well, dead guy who I felt like wasn't a victory band at all, nor did I feel that that refused. I still forget they are. That always surprises yeah. me. Yeah. Wait, how about uh Iceburn? Again, a random I mean <laughs> Victory was on some interesting shit back then. I'm just I'm just, I'm just fucking with you. I know. <laughs> Iceburn. Actually, fucking Lex from Daughters just yeah. posted up. I, I, I DM'd him about it. He's like, dude, the old heads know. I did too. I did too. And he's like, you and Jeff are the only ones who texted me. <laughs> so he knows. Yeah, because you're like Iceburn, and I'm like, uh, I never heard Iceburn. Exactly. Oh, okay. Well, you got a lot of homework, man. Well, you know a lot I of do. stuff, though. So. Well, wait, wait, wait. How old are you guys? And this doesn't have to be on the record. How old oh, no, 39. Yeah, okay. we're both 39. I'm, okay, for, yeah, 39. So I'm, I'm 42. Jeff is 55. Just kidding. Well, you. <laughs> How old are you, Jeff? I'm 43. Yeah. I'll be 44 this year. So we're just that that usually seems to be the age gap between Tommy and myself and the bands we're talking to. Wait, did you guys, did you guys see us live back then? I saw you guys at the kill time and I, I I believe that's the only time I saw you guys, but uh, I did have, this is a funny like parenting story. Uh, (laughs) I had, my wife had twins, you know, seven and a half years ago. And, Uh, one of the first storm one of the first (laughs) yeah one of the first (laughs) records um i i was like i'm gonna just get rid of some records one of the first records i sold was uh your uh split with orchid which was the the skull Skull one Mm -hmm. and i remember getting it and the, the person i sold it to was like Oh, it was on eBay, and I remember it was like one of the first times I had to ship a record, and he was like, "You have to be really careful with it. I want to make sure it's like this." And he was like very particular about it. And I remember being like, "Dude, I got like eighty bucks for this record. This is fucking insane." I looked it up on Discogs, <laughs> the cheapest one, two sixty six. I was like, "Fuck." <laughs> yeah, when I, I heard eighty, I was like, "Oh man, dude." <laughs> <laughs> Keep in mind, it was like right when I found out my wife, like right when the girls were born, I was like, all right, I got to get rid of some stuff. Like we are really like both my wife and I are teachers. And I was like, fuck, man, like we're we we're trying to we, we just bought a house. We have twins like they're in daycare full time. And I was like just looking at the bills and I was like, all right, I have a shelf full of records here. I know something there's got to be a couple of these I can get rid of. And unfortunately yours was one of the first ones to go because I was like, Oh, I have this picture disc that looks like that. And then I put it up on eBay and somebody snatched it up right away. I also worked in education for 10 years. So I'm, I'm, I'm with you knowing how the, the pay is. Yeah. Tommy, you and Jeff sound so similar running mixes, families, swimming, <laughs> teaching. You guys are going to be like best friends. Is that what happens to us? Fuck. I don't know. Wow. <laughs> 
it, yeah. it's just an it's just a cycle but don't worry look you'll get into do you, do you collect sneakers yet you'll start uh, <laughs> i have a bunch of like retired running shoes they're all the same shoe they're all just like out on my on my like you know i live in like a third floor apartment and like you know the stairs we keep our shoes out there and oh yeah yeah you know, I have like five pairs of, of my Nikes out there that are all the same, but they're just different colors. <laughs> <laughs> my wife's like, are you going to get rid of these? I'm like, you know, I, I wear never get out. rid of. No, no. <laughs> <laughs> so, guys, I want to talk about we've got a 20 year anniversary reissue of Presents coming up. We do. 20 years. Yes. Fuck me. Yeah, I can't believe oh. it. I can't believe, like, Tommy's like, I saw the band in 2001. I'm like, Jesus, I've been alive that long? (laughs) It doesn't feel like it. Yeah, it's a a weird thing, um, reflecting on how much time has actually gone by, and then to kind of revisit this music, and it's crazy to think that it's been 20 years since that record. And I can remember the time when we wrote it, and all the shows that kind of followed that, and... It's just a weird thing to be a little bit older, but to be able to recall sort of this very particular moment in time. Uh, I, I guess because the record, it was the last thing that we did um, in, in JD's first iteration. And it was also like, I don't know, it was a real, it was a real moment in our existence, um, just in terms of the, the changes we were going through and, you know, stylistically, sonically, you know, personally, the whole thing. And yeah, we're just super excited to actually be in a place now where we're, we're revisiting it. And, you know, we started talking uh, to Casey from iodine again about the the prospect of re-releasing it. And that, that in itself is like a whole story because, you know, Casey, as you know, he's, he's been at this just as long as we all have. And, you know, he played a big part in sort of opening doors for us regarding, you know, getting our music in front of uh, more more people by actually, you know, I think he might have been one of the first people besides uh, Forbes Graham, who um, was in, in that band Amalgamation, who we, our first split seven inch was with Amalgamation, who, who kind of like took us on and to put out um, a couple songs of ours on, on the side of the, on, the, on that side of the, that record. But, but Casey, I, I don't even know exactly how he found us or um, exactly how the, 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 the relationship started, but he put us on one of his first releases, which was a compilation which with other, you know, new England bands. I think most of the bands were from new England, but like cave and like converge and, yeah, Caven and Converge were on that. I think that was the first iodine release. I think it was. Yeah. And so for us, that that's that was like a really uh, when we first started when we first started talking again. Um, that really meant a lot to us. The fact that like this this person Casey came back into our circle, and knowing that he was one of the first people to kind of be involved with Jerome's dream, uh, and, and and him kind of. Um, you know, contributing to our sort of just, just presence as a band, uh, especially on vinyl or, well, no, in that case it was a CD, but, but still like the fact that like he took one of our first songs that we ever recorded and uh, invited us to be on one of his comps when he kind of mentioned this idea of, of us collaborating again, it, it was a no brainer. And so this, 
re-release or this reissue um, kind of came to the forefront and, and we just kind of hit the ground running with it. And it wasn't even like a thing where we were like, hey, it's been 20 years. Let's, let's re-release Presents on vinyl. Like Casey didn't even realize that. And I don't think we realized it either. Where I'm just like, hey, it's, it's 20 years. Like it's actually been 20 years since we, we um, released this record. I was going to say, aside from what you, what you've said already about, about Casey, I also like the fact that uh, he stepped away for a long time and then, you know, re- rekindled the flame, I guess. And, you know, cause we, cause we did the same thing. It was, it was kind of the same, the same path, you know, he like did his life and then he's like, you know what? I fucking miss this shit. And I'm going to come back and I'm going to do it because it's part of me. It's my, it's like my soul, you know, and that like, aside from what a great guy he is, like that was the thing that really sealed it for me and and then our history. But that was what sealed it for me is like, he's, he's had a very similar experience where he, he did other things and then decided that he, he needed this in his life to feel kind of complete, I guess. Yeah, I was happy to hear when he he was not only doing reissues, but starting to sign new bands again. And that's kind of Tommy and my story, too, as well, because Tommy was busy with his family and all this stuff. And we, we, you know, we never stopped, we never stopped talking, but we started going to more shows together. And I was basically like in a coma for 10 years because I was getting high all the time. But then I stopped doing that. And then I was conscious enough to start doing creative projects again. And this podcast being one of them. Amazing. Yeah. yeah. So it's all, it's all coming together. Yeah. yeah and I, I feel that way too. And I, I think that, um, well, for one, that's amazing. And I, I'm so glad that you guys are doing this podcast. Um, and, and yeah, like that's what feels good about returning to this in a different or, or it's funny. There, there's a, there's, there's a, a shared mindset that we have that we had when we were younger, but there's a, of course this, this additional, um, awareness and, uh, approach just based on life experience and just sort of the, the, the realities of where we are in our lives now. And what I've realized personally upon sort of getting reacquainted with this whole thing is um, that even though similar to Casey and uh, similar to Jeff and, and Nick, like in our own ways where we kind of not abandoned it, but we kind of, we had, we just like moved on to other things and like had like basically like lived a whole life where it's just so interesting how we were kind of drawn back to it and sort of felt that, I mean, the, the, the timing was uncanny as, as far as us all, at least JD, you know, I'm thinking about sort of our reacquaintance together as a band and how um, the three of us were just kind of like, yeah, like, I think it's time. I think it's time to do this again, or it's time to kind of uh, explore what this could be now. And it felt really good from the get go. Like when we first started, um, like when when we rehearsed for the first time, you know, Jeff and Nick, they came to LA actually. Um, and we, we got a rehearsal space for like a week or so just to get in, get behind our instruments, get in a room together. And it was such an interesting process, but at the end of the day, like it just felt so good. It's nice when, uh, when you're younger and you're in these bands, 
everything seems so important and so urgent. You're putting your entire life into this band, and, you know, it has to work, and it has to do this, and it has to do that, and, you know, I've heard the story a lot of times where it just doesn't work out, and people are upset, and you walk away, and enough time goes by, and like you said, Eric, you live a whole life, and you can come back eventually. You circle back, even without trying. It just, things kind of go into motion, and you can come back with a fresh perspective, a new perspective as an adult, and be like, okay, we can do this thing without all the headaches, I guess. Yeah, I mean, I think that, um, well, it's, it, it, I think, I think I, I, again, and, and Jeff, of course, you, you chime in as well, but I guess I'm just, I, it's a very personal thing, you know, back then. It's a personal thing now in terms of your relationship with this type of music, with this um, type of culture, with this community of people. And, and I think what I'm, where I'm at now as, as an adult um, is I realize just how important it all has been to my identity and also just, just what it means to me philosophically to be a punk and like to, what, what this thing is, you know, and, you know, being a young kid and being an angry kid and, um, you know, I, I, again, starting a band with, with two friends who become your best friends and it, and that becomes like the only thing that matters like that, that's a real special moment, but then to live a lifetime more or less, and then to become reacquainted with those same people that you shared an experience with that um, you, you can't possibly replicate with anyone else. It's a really special, um, it, it's a real, it's a real special uh, sort of revisiting of all of that and stacking on top of it. And so what we had, what, what we've done in the past couple of years uh, I still can't believe how much touring we've actually done um, at this point in our lives. And, you know, the music that we've written and recorded and the stuff that we're con you know, still working on and the stuff that we're about to do um, with this release uh, with presents. And it's just, it's just, a, it's just wild. Uh, it's just a crazy thing. As far as, I mean, for me, like if we're talking about the history in between the iterations of the band, like, you know, I moved here in 2002 and then like um, I went, I went through, just the darkest part of my life, even worse than my, my childhood, I would say, you know, cause I was just so adrift, you know, I, 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 I went to college after I, after I moved out here, but, and that was really the only thing that was keeping me grounded, but everything else was just like darkness and me just fumbling uh, through life, you know? And then I, I met my wife and she sort of helped, helped ground me and, um, turned me into a, a better person and um, helped me just kind of flatten out the, the, the traumas that I was just dragging behind me and um, throwing around and, um, you know, and then we had our, our son and then that sort of, that made it even, even more solid. And then the three of us got together on the phone, not, not too long after my son, maybe two years after my son was born. So it was like, met my wife, had our son and then the band came back and it was like steps of helping me kind of turn into a, a, a good human again. And, um, you know, so, and, and here we are, I guess, uh, what, three years later after, after reuniting and, um, it just, it feels so good. And, you know, I just, I'm, it, it just, it, it completes me, you know, like my, my family, my family really, they, they, 
they were something that was missing in my life. But then there was still something. And then the band, the band just happened again. I was like, Oh, okay, this is, this is exactly what I needed to make everything whole. And, you know, and that's going back to, to earlier when we were talking about, uh, how, how the band stopped before and, and how I was laughing, you know, I, I was, I was upset with Eric for a long time because of that. Were there years where you guys just didn't like each other and didn't talk? We didn't talk for, I don't know, maybe five or six years after, after the band ended. And mm. yeah. And it wasn't about like not liking each other. I think it was more so just, just the band hitting its wall and then the three of us going our separate ways. I think, uh, you know, in retrospect, what I think happened to a degree was, you know, and it's not like it, it, it it's right, but I think because the three of us were so embedded with each other and we were doing what we were doing together and making this music that we made and um, there's, there's such an intensity to it. There's such a, I don't know, it, it just, it, it kind of fucks you up or it can. And it certainly did for me, like to, to be that way for however long we were a band from 97 to 2001. And it really was like an all or nothing type of thing where the three of us were so invested in the music, so invested in just the, the idea of being in this band and making the music that we made um, and creating this world for ourselves I think at the end of our time, which was shortly after we made presents, I don't know. I, I, I think that's, that's just the, the sad reality of, of, of collaborations like this. Uh, I mean, it, it's different for everyone, of course. Um, but I think, I, I think on, to, to put it in a more positive light, I think our ability to get back on a phone together after so long and to get reacquainted three of us and to just have it feel a certain way and to have a certain kind of rapport. It, it's, it's really unique and it's really special. And I, I really value that more now than, than I ever could have imagined when I was younger. Um, and I know that like Jeff and I, we, we would see each other occasionally over the years, I, either I passed through SF or, you know, whatever uh, we would grab beers or dinner mm-hmm. kind of sporadically as we've become older, as we've lived a little bit more life, I think we, we were all able to kind of appreciate what the band was to us and like what it provided us. And um, now it's just a weird thing being just being older, but, but being just 55, a, a, a young, a young 55 for sure. For the record, we're not 55. We're fucking 42 and 43. Okay. Don't get it twisted. Um, yeah. It's, it's, it's weird to be around for uh, it's, it's, it's weird to be around this long, you know, and you, and to also still feel like you're fucking still learning shit, like within the realm of music, within the realm of punk, within the realm of your own creative capabilities. Like, you know, basically since we were able to like take the mat, like quote unquote, take the mask off um, upon vaccination, you know, we got in the room right away and like, started playing again we've been playing at least once a week for for i don't know two or three months now and we're we're working on new music and all that and and simultaneously we have this 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 repress or this re-release happening with presents which we're super stoked on 
I listened to it recently or listened to a couple songs recently. Um, and it's like, wow, like this is so weird to think that we did this shit 20 years ago. And, and the fact that it's going to be re- repackaged and a new design and it's going to be on vinyl for the first time. Um, the fact that we're doing it, 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 there's like all these elements to this re-release that almost make it seem new, even though it's 20 years old. Yeah. And you know, I was, I listened to the whole record today again, and it, it still sounds so fresh. And then, uh, you know, it finished playing and I forgot. And then there's this long silence and this drum loop <laughs> comes back in at the end. And I was like, what the fuck? Did I hit a button? And I was like, no, they threw that in. That's so cool. We, but, we uh, were total assholes. <laughs> <laughs> set the stage for us a little bit when it came out. How was the band doing? Uh, what are some of the themes that went into the record? How was the reception? Like, how were things at that time? Great questions. Mm. Jeff, do you want to take this one? It's funny. Okay, so when Eric, when we first started talking about it, Eric said, oh, in the live shows, you know, we we went on tour after after recording it, but it hadn't come out yet. And we were, we were with our friend Rishi, and we you know we'd show up to to and and just for the record R- rishi is the one am radio which we uh, split with and rishi now has an amazing podcast called uh, another amazing podcast called song exploder yeah. um and he's still making music as well but yep. anyways yeah yeah so we went on tour with him and yeah we we would show up to the to the shows and kids would be like oh drums dreams here and and then we would play these songs and they'd be like, what the fuck is this? You know, like, where's the screaming? Where's, you know, like, and we, <laughs> we were just like, well, this is what it is now, you know? And, um, you know, we, we, it was, it was kind of a, an abrupt change, but it was at the same time, it was like, uh, you know, this is, this is how we're going to do it now. And, um, so it was, it was kind of funny, you know, like there, I think there's, there's a video of us playing in Ohio, on youtube i think uh eric you uploaded that right Mm -hmm. yeah yeah so there's like a kid standing in the back of the show and he's he's just kind of watching and and then he just walks away in the middle of the set and i'm just like that dude is totally pissed that we're that we sound like this he's like what what, you know what's this shit so um that was that was the feeling i got about uh what the reception was like when we played it people people just didn't they didn't really understand what we were doing. They're like, huh? Cause it was, it was like a huge pivot on our, on our end. Um, I mean, musically, I think we got a lot tighter and a lot better than we had been, but then the vocals, people were just like, what is, what is this? You know? Um, and I still think they probably think that, but <laughs> <laughs> what went into the decision to change the vocals? A couple things. Um, you know, I mean, we were we were getting a little bit older, so I, I felt like I don't really want to scream like that anymore. You know, like I don't I don't need to. At least at that point, I didn't need to. You know, when we came back, I started I started screaming again. Um, but uh, or at least when we came back live. Um, but at the moment, I was like, I, I don't I don't need to do it. And so and also it just kind of hurt after a while. You know, like my like just doing that to yourself is like. It's really, really hard. Um, yeah. Plus, with no mic, I mean, you're no mic, you're, yeah. you're you're like carrying your voice through the whole room with no help. Yeah, it's just like shrieking, this like Muppet shrieking, right? <laughs> <laughs> but um, 
Yeah. So I was just like, I remember being in the car with Eric and Nick one day, I think we were in Massachusetts, um, close to where Eric lived and, uh, maybe we'd been going to get food or something. And I was just like, Hey guys. They're like, yeah. I was like, I don't really want to scream anymore. And they were like, okay. And so I, I kind of pitched my idea to them of seeing like a, like a, crazy circus announcer and um <laughs> you didn't pitch it like that though i mean <laughs> here's the scene you know we we were playing uh especially um when we had done the first uh, touring with the 10 inch that we we put out um seeing is more than safety uh that's kind of like what kind of uh, the, the band has become known uh to sound that particular way i mean i know everything we've released has always had a kind of like a different sound and but the 10 inch was sort of what, what kind of carved us out as like this, like screamo hardcore band. And we never referred to us as screamo, but just, just for simplicity sake. Um, but, um, you know, I think to get, to get back to or to, you know, to kind of add to this sort of painting the scene of, of the time of presents, I think we got to a point where we were ready to, kind of go out on her own, like really go out on her own. Uh, we were a part of a scene. We were associated with some really fantastic bands and we had, you know, made really, really great, like friends over the years, you know, between Orchid and like, you know, page 99 guys, Reversal um, Man. you know, yeah, just, just like, like acquainted with reversal man and, and all these other, um, you know, great hardcore bands. Um, there was something that there was something in us that I think prompted us to really try and push ourselves creatively and just to see like what it would come out like. And again, referencing our conversation a little bit earlier about like listening to so many other types of underground, but different bands that weren't necessarily heavy or whatever. But I I think at the time they were still construed as like punk or like hardcore bands because they were still in this like underground scene and I think presents, even though it's still kind of a heavy fucked up record, I think presents is like the most, um, it kind of demonstrates just like how wide our palette was in, in terms of like being a hardcore band. And I think we just, we weren't afraid to kind of go left of center. I mean, we never, we never were, but you can really hear it in presents. But in addition to like the creative exploration, there, there, there's a real sense of cynicism in, in, in the, in the sound. Uh, there's a lot of parts in presents that are just like, they're just so fucking ridiculous and like, they're not serious. Like there's some musical elements of presents that are so not serious. And I'm sure people are like, the fuck are these guys doing? Or like, what is this bullshit? And we kind of deliberately made it. So it made people cringe we wanted it to be cringeworthy. We wanted it to be uncomfortable. We wanted it to be like, what the what, what the fuck is this band doing? You know? But at the same time of this kind of like deliberate, um, just sort of like creative pivot, kind of like to what Jeff said, is we found ourselves becoming super like like hyper focused in our playing. Like we, we, at the time when we wrote presents, we were we wrote it in my bedroom in uh in um amherst massachusetts Uh, i was living in this house with uh will from orchid at the time and tim from uh this band called wolves 
and um, and our, our friend Kelly, uh, we had this, this house we called the Rock House, and it was actually the first iteration of Dead Air Studios, which is Will Will from Orchid's recording studio, which he's now doing in his new place. But um, we, I, I helped him like make the garage into a live room and we like lined it with carpet and stuff, total fire hazard, but it worked. And, um, you know, that's where we wrote presents. And I just remember like, I, I would like, I had like a futon mattress at the time. So I, I would like fold it up into a couch. We cart all of our equipment inside the bedroom, uh, you know, and, and Jeff and Nick would drive up from Connecticut, uh, every weekend. And that's how we wrote it. But there was just something about being in that house, something about having this, the, the way we rehearsed, where we rehearsed. Um, I don't know. It just kind of, it, we just became really focused. And I think we became better players and we were kind of inching towards this new territory that wasn't necessarily within like what people would, ex- like the slot that people would expect us to be slotted into. And I think that was the, that was the thing that we liked about it so much where it was just like, you can't fucking pin us down on anything. Like we are who we are and we're, we're going to do what we want to do. We don't give a fuck what anyone thinks. And it, that's just where we came from. It was a real, it was a real stance. Yeah. I think uh, a lot of bands reach that point and I think it's the way to go because yeah. I don't know, you can keep writing the same thing over and over again, or you can follow your heart and, and your influences and what's going on with you and, and try something new. And unfortunately, you know, at that time, or I guess with any younger generation, they just Mm. can't accept any change. And I couldn't either. If a band changed their sound uh, when I was 17, 18 years old, I didn't Mm -hmm. like them anymore. There was like a whole decade where I didn't listen to cave in because I, I didn't like what they were doing. You know, I thought Converge changed their sound, but they never really did too drastically. And I stopped listening to them just because I thought they changed their sound. So I was like very firm, like, no, like you do this or I'm not in. Yeah. I think a lot of us felt that way. I think it was just like the landscape of, of this, uh, you know, people's awareness of of this type of music where it's like, the thing is too, with with this, with hardcore and, and punk in particular, I feel like, you know, people, people gravitate towards the music that like resonates with them on a visceral level. So when someone changes their sound, it kind of disrupts that connection and and it might yield a different feeling when you're not screaming or when you're singing or when you're, you know, when you switch from a piccolo to a eight inch depth snare drum, I don't know, but you know, it's, it's like, yeah, it's, it's jarring for some people. And, you know, we, we, had no concern. It's not like we were like deliberately trying to break off from the people who maybe liked the band at the time or I, well, now that I say that, I mean, I mean, truthfully, I, I think, I think we were in a place where we were all feeling a bit cynical towards the scene that we were involved in. And I'll just put it, I'll just put it out there. Like, and it wasn't anyone in particular. I think it was just sort of this overall feeling that we had where we weren't connecting with the culture that we were a part of. Um, and we're like, you know what, let's just go even further. Let's just like go out into like, you know, no man's land and, uh, just, just kind of rediscover what it is that we're even doing. We always kind of felt like we were outsiders, no matter where we went. Definitely, We were always outsiders. Yeah. Yeah. And, and 
for us that that was it was like i don't want to say it was a chip on our shoulder but it was it was always something that was kind of there lingering like up but we always had a chip on our shoulder that's what yeah yeah but it, it did but it was also you know i mean also our friendship did and our just just the fucked up shit we had gone through as as kids and um but it it you know that was always kind of kind of something that was like let's just do this weird thing and piss people off a little bit because it that was just how we we would deal with it and you know i guess i've always been kind of a contrary person so it's it's just the nature yeah it's a lot of punks are right yeah if someone tells me i have to do something i just automatically don't want to do it even if it's something i want to do yeah, Dude, yeah, that, that's, the, that's the punk in you yeah. for sure. Oh God, yeah, you, you, should, meet, you should meet my son. <laughs> <laughs> I'm sure we'd have a lot in common. Yes, God yeah. damn him. <laughs> it really is a blessing and a curse. Like, like just you know that kind of mindset. Um, uh, you know, sometimes it, it's it. I I personally like find it to be to my advantage, and sometimes I'm like, fuck, like I'm still dealing with this. Like that that kind of like built in resistance. And like, kind of what you said is like, even if it's something that I want to do, <laughs> it's, that's a weird psychology to it all, but there's just something that's like wired in me. Um, it's very bizarre. Yeah. Like when I, when I'm uh, traveling and I, I have a rental car, you know, I'm using the GPS, <laughs> the GPS yeah. will be like, turn here. And my, I swear to God, my first instinct is No. Like <laughs> it's it's I'm, fucked I'm up. I'm gonna do that. Google. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Take that. I'm gonna t- I'm gonna go right. <laughs> Have you ever been to Maui? Never. So no. Maui, there's this road called the Road to Hana. So most of the stuff in Maui is like centered on the the central part and the western part of the island, and then there's this like really beautiful town called Hana on the east side of the island. And you have to take this crazy windy road. I think there are something like 36 bridges or something that you cross. Um, and it's like, it's like a tourist thing. Like people do it. They're like, Oh, we're going to drive the road to Hana or whatever. And, um, so when you rent your car, uh, they tell you do not drive around the Southern part of the Island back. Like do not do a full loop. Like when you get to Hana, turn around and go back the other way because the other part of the, the road is like, parts of it are unpaved and like you can fall in the ocean and it's like nobody's down there. So it's just like completely remote. So, um, and I think and I'm going to Maui next week. So I'm, I'm thinking about doing, doing the, the Southern route. Cause the contrary in me is like, fuck you. I'm going to take the, I'm going to, I'm going to go see it. Fuck you. you know, so. <laughs> well, if it comes down to driving off a cliff, then I can find it in me to listen. I will go slow, <laughs> but I'm still going to do it. Cause they say, cause they don't want you to fuck up their car. Right. They're like, yeah, please don't destroy our car. If you, if you do this, you're going to void your, your insurance and we're going to like charge you $10,000 or whatever to replace our car. Oh, so. God. Yeah. So, gentlemen, let's talk about what we've got coming up. Now, the 20-year anniversary reissue of Presents is coming out on Iodine Recordings. When can we expect that? Well, I think that the pre-order opens uh, July 30th, um, which is just a few days from now. But um, I think the the drop date is in September sometime, September 20-something. But, yeah, I mean, we we've been working with Casey on this for it seems like a few months now, just kind of getting all the, uh, the pieces in place. Um, it's, it's definitely taken a village to kind of get it all going, but, you know, between Casey and, um, 
you know, this, this guy, Drew, who, who's, who's been helping iodine and just holding it down on the, uh, you know, art direction and design and Jack remastered. Um, yeah, Jack, Jack Shirley, um, our friend Jack uh, remastered it, which is also so nice, too, because, again, we're, we're re-releasing this old recording of, of ours, but it, it's getting this sort of, like, new new approach to it and new hands on it, new ears on it. And um, I don't know. It's funny because I was just actually cutting a little sort of teaser thing for it that we're going to put out um, this Friday on, on the 30th um, just to, just to basically support the announcement of the pre-order, but like listening to this, listening to the songs um, paired with like the new kind of like, like the new graphics and design that we've, we, we've kind of packaged around it. It's funny because it, like it, it's it feels like a new thing. It's it's weird again. Like like looking back twenty years, thinking that we made this shit in a bedroom in Massachusetts. Uh, you know, just like just putting this all together now still kind of blows my mind. It blows my mind that we're even even doing any of this at all. But um, I think we're really excited to to kind of share it in this new way even though it, it's it's older music of ours, um, we're really proud of like how it's being sort of put together. And we're also really honored to be um, doing it with the people that we are between Casey, between Jack, um, you know, to have the opportunity to even like talk to you guys about it. Like just, just this stuff matters. All of it matters. And it's cool to be doing it now, 20 years later. Yeah, that's great. And uh, do you have any tour dates coming up? No tour dates at the moment. Um, we're still like holding it down uh, low key, but um, we are playing. You know, we're, we're we're rehearsing every week. We're writing new material. Um, so, in terms of your question about what's coming up, we do have new stuff coming up in addition to the presents reissue um, stuff that I, we'll just like hold out for now. But we're we're excited about what is around the corner. Um, so there will, there will definitely be more stuff on that um, in, in the coming months for sure. But like, yeah, we haven't been resting on our hands. There's definitely like, it's funny. Cause like a lot of, a lot of us, a lot of the bands, a lot of people have just been kind of like keeping low key. And I know that people are definitely like doing some great stuff. Like, like, you know, soul glow, for example, um, they just released an incredible EP. Um, I think they're doing something with epitaph really soon. Uh, we, we were, you know, touring with them and, uh, and, and gouge away that what with two summers ago um had had the, the privilege of, of meeting and playing with those guys and um you know so so it's like yeah people are doing stuff there's stuff coming out constantly which is amazing to see um we're kind of doing our own version of that we're just kind of um sort of laying low until we're ready to pull the trigger on these things looking forward to playing live though i can't i cannot <sighs> wait yeah I'm, I'm, I'm dying for it we really want to play live. Um, we definitely miss that aspect of, of doing this at all, you know, like re recording, rehearsing it's, that's a whole other thing, but to be at a show, to be in front of other people, to, to, to meet up with people, to see people, you know, to meet people for the first time, uh, to play with people that you respect. That's what I've always loved about punk and hardcore is just that kind of like communal aspect to it. And um, yeah, the pandemic has definitely thrown a wrench in the works, but uh, we're, we're hoping that we can 
feel good about booking stuff. Um, probably, you know, well, definitely 2022. So we'll see, but we're not rushing into it either. Like I definitely understand why bands are, are booking up these tours and people are getting back to it as soon as possible. We're just, we're just kind of waiting for, for when it feels right to us. But um, in the meantime, we're, we're working on a bunch of uh, release type of stuff, um, but presents being the first thing that, um, that that's a part of that. That's great. Folks, by the time you hear this, the pre-order will be up. So head over to Iodine Recordings, pre-order the record. And Jerome's Dream has other stuff out there. There's the 2019 LP, the Reunion LP, right? We want people to listen to that, yes? For sure, yeah. The the, the LP is just out there. You can get it wherever. But um, we're, what we're really excited about is is the new stuff that we've been working on. Um, not, not, to, not to hype it up or anything, but it is definitely... Uh, I think I think during these sort of dark days of the pandemic, we've been able to really go deep on um, sort of musical exploration and uh, creative exploration, and um, yeah, we we just can't wait to share what 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 new stuff we've been working on. So yeah, that's awesome. We're excited to hear it too. And oh, one thing I wanted to ask you guys about. Uh, you know, searching around and looking up things about you guys online, I saw there's a there's a whole tribute album to you guys. <laughs> have you heard that? Yeah, yeah, I, there yeah. Is a, I listened to it. The, how does it feel to have a tribute album to your band out there? I would love that. I would listen to it, and I'd be like, I don't like that. I like this. They got that wrong. I would eat it up. What was your guys' response to it? I was I was so flattered by that. I was like, what the fuck? Yeah, you know. I, it, it blew my, like, I didn't know about it at all until it was out, you know, nobody, (laughs) nobody told me that that was going to happen. And, you know, it came out and I was like, dude, what, why? Like, I was surprised (laughs) that people cared, you know? Well, well, here's the thing. We're, we're, we're a fucking shitty hardcore band from Connecticut. We never thought that we'd still be talking about this stuff 20 years later. Um, You know, all we wanted to do was make the music that meant something to us and like helped us get through things. And so the fact that like, you know, this band has um, been able to kind of just sort of sustain itself in a weird way. Um, of course, the internet really helped with that, with, with the catalog going up on Spotify and people just still talking about it over the years. Um, yeah, to have like a 30, 30 other bands basically cover tunes from... Uh, I think most of them or all of them were from seeing these more than safety, the 10 inch we did in 99. Um, a lot of these younger bands or newer bands rather um, did their own version of songs of that. And yeah, it was really flattering. It was really surreal. And it's just a weird thing to, to just be another punk band, but then to see certain people, uh, you know, develop a certain relationship with that music. And um, I don't know. I mean, we feel the same way about so many other bands, you know, it's like, we, we're just, we're just kind of like, we, we are just a, another band, but there are so many um, bands uh, that we have that, that, that kind of same relationship with that we admire so much. And, uh, but again, I think that's what makes punk so special is um, that those, those individual relationships you develop with, with the bands that you discover who resonate with you. It's just a different type of transaction, I guess. I'll say this too, like some of the bands, they, they, they took the songs and they turned them into something completely different. 
And I thought that was really, really cool because that's something we would do if we were going to do that kind of thing. You know, we would just be like, let's just take this part and make it into something else. And I thought that was incredible. And, you know, I just, if any of the people in any of those bands listen to this, I'm, I just, like thanks that was that was really cool you know it made me really feel feel good like you know i you know I, what makes me feel good is the fact that we're we're like we're like a part of these like memes now <laughs> <laughs> what kind of memes thanks for interrupting my my earnest answer. i had i had to <laughs> I had to. I'm sorry. No, it's okay. Because the memes, they're just as important. They are. They are. You're right. Um, no, what kind of memes? Oh, God, just fucking stupid memes. They're just absurd. They're funny, any, any, any memes, like, any memes about hardcore, like, you know, emo, it's just fucking hilarious. They but, are. They're funny. Yeah. You know, thank you, internet. <laughs> <laughs> well, guys, it's been an absolute pleasure to talk to you, and uh, we're looking forward to the re-release we're looking forward to new music. We love the band, and uh, we just want to really say thank you for taking the time to speak with us tonight. Yeah, this was awesome. Really great to meet you guys. And uh, Yeah, I mean, I, I hope you come back out soon, because we will take you out for a beer. There you have it, folks. Jerome's dream. Jeff and Eric. They were great to talk to. That was a, that was a very well-rounded conversation. We hit a lot of topics. You know, it just flowed naturally. Those are the best. They, they, were, uh, they were a joy to talk to. That was awesome. Eric brought something up that kind of resonated really hard with me, and I, I haven't really thought about it that deeply, but it's like when you really like a band – and they change their sound, especially like the music that we were into when we were younger. Yeah. We're so passionate about it and so into it. And it became kind of like wrapped up in your identity that when the band changed their sound, I actually remember feeling almost like betrayed. Yes. When, when I heard like, I remember hearing a, a cave in, uh, was it Jupiter that came yes. out? And, or there was a bury your dead record that i was like i fucking love that song magnolia and then we were like yo you hear the new one and i heard it and i was like wait is this the same band <laughs> yeah i felt like like somebody was disloyal to me i it was just really bothersome and it's like this band owes you nothing what the fuck are you talking about 18 year old kid like <laughs> <laughs> yeah it's it's what they want to do it's their artistic vision and yeah. you know they don't have to listen to what you want, and you don't have to listen to the band. No one owes anybody anything. That's a, a a wonderful way of saying that, because I feel like there's so many times where people say something about a band, and you're like, what do you, do you feel like you know these people? Or like they'll reference them like like their first name, and you're Dave. like... Dave. Yeah, you're going to the Dave concert, man? Yeah, I get that because that's kind <laughs> of like their culture of like they feel connected through that music. But yeah. like, they'll reference stuff and say like, yeah, man, I actually don't really like when so and so started playing guitar like this. It's like, really? Like, uh, like the, 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 are you that cl are you that close with the band? Like, Jesus, stop. <laughs> well, Tommy, I know it's late, but do you know what it's time for? Oh, God, is it? Is it the, the minute thing with culture? Fucking A. <laughs> That's right, Tommy. It's time for the Pop Culture Minute. 
And that's where we discuss the hot topics of the day. Are you ready for this? Are you ready to do this? I am 100% ready, but I I will say the one that you did, not the last time, but I think the time before that, uh, I heard a bunch of it down the shore with my my one niece, uh, Olivia Rodrigo. Yes. Is it good? It's not bad. It's like, uh, it's kind of Taylor Swifty kind of, it's poppy. It's moody. It's, you know, kind of heartfelt lyrics. Let's just put it this way. Uh, I never asked her to turn it off. Like it was, yeah, some of that stuff I can get down with, but let's get into this. Let's go. Twitter was a buzz with memes about the new M night Shyamalan movie old. It's about a beach that you go to it and you turn old. Oh, no. Tommy, have you seen the movie? I have not seen the movie, but I actually, I, I know the, I saw the trailer for this. What do you think? Does it look good? I, I don't know. I feel like that guy's disappointed me a lot of times. So, yeah. uh, you but- know, there, there, he is under a lot of scrutiny all the time. And here, here is my thought. I wish he didn't feel like there always had to be a twist of yeah. some sort in one of his movies. He should not be beholden to that unless referencing back to the conversation we just had with jerome's dream unless that's what he wants if that's what he wants then that's what he should do but if he feels like he has to do it then he shouldn't that's my personal opinion i just remember the the last two movies i've seen of his was uh i saw the the village that was the one with joaquin phoenix in it yeah, and that movie gets flack, but I liked it. I didn't see that twist coming for sure. Like, yeah, it, a lot it, of people always say I saw it coming a mile right. away. I, I don't know. I don't think I did, and I thought the movie was okay. It wasn't as shocking as like the other one. Uh, and then- yeah, you can't. You're never gonna. You're never gonna live up to the ending of Sixth Sense, and yeah. you just shouldn't try. I think The Village would have been better if they just kept it as like an old timey scary movie, you know, and like yeah. the monsters were real. Yeah. That would have been cool. I thought that I thought the cool idea was like you know th- it was the creation of this thing to keep them within the borders. Like that's what it, safety was within the borders. Therefore, you know, make something else the monster on the outside. There's a, the monster can be fake, but the the fake monster is protecting you from something really sinister. But yeah, and then the other one was the uh, Mark Wahlberg one, The Happening, where it was like the Earth was turning against people. Kind of yeah, thing. good concept. Mm maybe with some different actors it could have worked i i read about that recently i think there was some tension between mark Wahlberg and m night and that translated into some of the performance do you ever know that like mark Wahlberg was like in jail for a little bit yeah there there used to be a section under his wikipedia called hate crimes yeah he did like some crazy shit right yeah he was uh he, he like had a, some troubles, but yeah. listen, I'm going to shift to the next pop culture minute item. Okay. Woodstock 99 documentary. Have you heard about this? Have you seen this? Yeah, Vadim told me about it. Yeah, yo, it's good. And guess what scene is in it? The, the corn uh, blind opening. Yes. Yeah. They show it, and it's... we were Now, this show always cycles back to corn... After the conversation with Jerome's dream, we hit stop, and of course we talked about Corn playing blind at Woodstock 99, and they, it's in this documentary too. So shout out again to Phil Jameson for turning us on to that yeah. amazing clip. And Tommy, based on the media coverage of Woodstock 99, what is your basic 
idea of what happened at the festival? Uh, extremely hot, uh, charging like $10 a bottle for water. People started to kind of get pissed. There was like, um, kind of like sewage issues, I guess like not enough porta potty things. And then after a few days, people just started to kind of revolt against the prices and the conditions and turned into kind of like a real, uh, frat boy kind of gropey kind of thing. Yes. Now, based on mainstream media coverage, my basic understanding of what happened was Limp Bizkit played as the place burned down. And that's not what happened at all. It's it's more what you said. You know, okay. people got fed up. There was no staff. The the fairground or the, it was on a military base. Now, first of all, having the irony of having Woodstock on a military base is too much to begin with, but yeah. conditions were bad. A kid died. You know, it was it was it was just Oh no. Violent death or like dehydration type thing? Dehydration. Okay. Yeah, it was bad. It was there was a lot a lot of bad stuff going on. And uh you know, I won't say everything, but watch the documentary. It's on HBO Max and I barely watch anything anymore and I really enjoyed it. I lost your HBO password, so I'll probably watch it. <laughs> <laughs> well, my brother is using it now too. I don't know if I can handle two people using it, but uh Yeah, I think it's better that I'm off of it. Don't worry. Yeah. We'll see what's going on. And that's it. Oh. <laughs> Shit. That's your pop culture minute. <laughs> Tommy and I are on the hot topics, and we will give you our opinions on them whenever we feel like it, whenever there's time. <laughs> oh my word! Did I ask you how you were doing in the first episode, or the the first segment, or no? I, I don't remember. Like, we recorded like, that like three days ago. I know. I feel like I, did, <laughs> I feel like I did, and I don't. I don't. Rem- I just don't want to be that guy. Oh, believe me, I'll remind you if you are. You know, okay. I'm a pain in the ass like that. Yeah, but you do it in a, you at least do it in a polite way. Like, well, I'm glad to hear that. And yeah, we talked about how I'm doing. But oh, one thing I've neglected to mention: I was in a, when I was in San Jose, my friend Chris, who was the drummer in the Basement Year, which is the wonderful song that you hear open our podcast. He oh, moved yeah. out there. He lives in San Jose. So I hit him up. I was like, "Yo, let's hang out." So we hung out and we went to Santa Cruz. You know, mm-hmm. home of the Lost Boys. Huh? 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 I never saw that movie. What? Yeah. What? It's like the guy from Bill and Ted's Excellent Adventure and what's his name? Dude, you have to see that movie. It's a classic. I just, I remember the one, like the, the scene of them, like, I guess there's like a bridge involved. Yeah. Yeah. I don't, I don't really remember. Come on, Tommy. Tommy, you got to watch it. Now listen, watch the movie, but I hung out with Chris. It was Awesome. You know, because usually I go on these business trips and I don't know anybody and, and I just sit in the hotel or, you know, I'll run out to get food or it's, it's, I don't ever do anything, but I got out, I got to see a friend and, um, see some stuff and it was nice. It was a nice change of pace. So Chris, excellent to see you. How do you, how do you eat when you're like out somewhere that you're not familiar with? Do you ask people around or you're just like fucking, all right, there's chilies in the parking lot. I'm going there. Yo, that's what I... I eat, like, trash, dude. Ugh. Like, I, I don't care. I ate Chick-fil-A twice. Chick-fil-A's not trash, though. Uh, Their ethics are. The oh, food yeah. is good, though. Oh, that's yeah, right. they they donate to, like, far-right, like, really bad far-right groups. Far anything is pretty bad. Not far-left. Yeah, far-left's kind of, like, eh, too. <laughs> I know you're not big on that, but listen... Yeah. 
We we agree to disagree. Right? That is yeah. No, I actually I I that's one of the things with this podcast is like I know we have not wildly different takes on uh, not politics but just kind of like social issues in general. Yeah. And um I think it's something that maybe I I I'm s- so f- kind of floored with watching things. I when I'm on YouTube, I, I I tend to watch really far left, really far right. I try to find moderate people in the middle, um, and I I always am kind of like I look at the title of the video and it'll say, "Who's the guy that runs uh, Air America?" Sam Sam mm-hmm. Stater. I don't even know what you're talking about. Oh, it's like a. Uh, uh, pretty far left radio show janine garofalo used to be the co-host on it i listen to him sometimes and it's always like the titles of like his videos or like ben shapiro's videos are always like so-and-so slams person and it's like you listen to it and it's like it's actually a fairly cordial debate (laughs) yeah it's clickbait you know it's like this person totally owned by and then you watch it and the person is like i disagree with you it's like whoa Jordan Peterson. Wait, do you watch Ben's? Do you watch Ben Shapiro? Oh, I'll watch everybody. I I I, watched, I think that's weird. I watched. Uh, what did I watch the other day? And I I was kind of like, you really do like seek out everybody. information, even if it's the worst information out there. Because I I th- I feel like that's kind of the world we live in. Is you get these extremes from both sides, and I, and I feel like you kind of have to listen to both to kind of make your own decision about where does where does the truth lie it's kind of like two people are in an argument you listen to one side then you listen to the other side and go okay somewhere in between here is reality i try not to isolate people unless they're into some really wacky stuff and i just don't want anything to do with them because if i disagree with and remove everyone from my life who does not see my point of view the only person i'm going to be hanging out with is myself and that's a lonely life and you know what I don't want to do that. Yeah, I I I tend to watch a lot of uh like just somebody talking behind a microphone about, you know, a recent news story, they'll play a little clip or they'll play a segment of someone speaking at a congressional hearing and then they'll give their two cents on it and I'll go, "Okay, they were listening to like the thing that happened today was like the trial, I guess not the trial, but I I the kind of congressional hearings about the january 6th insurrection and i was like okay i want to hear what some of the republican senators have to say i want to hear the testimony from some of the um uh, capital uh, police officers that were there i try to do it i try to get all sides to hear what kind of seems to make the most sense and and a lot of times i end up walking away more confused than when i started but at least i have a little bit more information to go on uh, and I can kind of use some but of do that. you, Tommy? Do you have information, or do you have what is packaged and presented? All right, I'm done. <laughs> Look, we're out of time. Um, we agree to disagree. We love each other, and we yeah. love you. So thanks again to Jerome Stream for speaking to us tonight. That was great. Thanks, everybody, for listening, and until next time. <laughs>